Lift up the trumpet and loud let it ring, Jesus is coming again. Cheer up, you pilgrims, be joyful and sing, Jesus is coming again. This is the voice of prophecy, a voice crying in the wilderness of these modern days. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Coming again, coming again, Jesus is coming again. From our Voice of Prophecy studios in Los Angeles, California, we welcome you to this half hour of inspiration and music with the King's Heralds, Del Delker, Brad Braley, and HMS Richards, the Voice of Prophecy speaker. times ten thousand in sparkling raiment bright the armies of the ransomed saints throng up the steeps of light tis finished all is finished their fight with death and sin fling open wide the Heavenly Father, we do pray that Thou wilt bless this broadcast today, and all who hear it, all who have anything to do with it, strengthen us and guide us and comfort us in Thy Word and lead us into truth, in Christ's name. There is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. sin cannot molest near to the heart of God. Mm-hmm. O Jesus, blessed Redeemer, sent from the heart of God, hold us who bow before Thee Near to the heart of God. Mm -hmm. 
What a comforting thought it is to know that not a sparrow falls to the ground without God's knowledge. The very hairs of our head are numbered. The king's heralds bring us the assurance of his love and care in this song. Tenderly he watches over you. Step, 
H.M.S. Richards, the voice of prophecy speaker, his subject, here's your answer. Question, what did Jesus mean when he said so many times, it is written? It is written. The answer is that Jesus was referring to the holy writings or holy scriptures as we call them. The word scripture means writing. Jesus referred to the holy writings or scriptures of the Old Testament. He quoted them as divine authority, as we see in Matthew 4, verse 4 and verse 10. The New Testament was not yet written when our Lord was on earth. Speaking of that which was written up to that time, namely the Old Testament, he said, The scripture cannot be broken. John 10:35. Jesus gave us an example of absolute faith in the written word of God. Question. Why do so many call the Holy Scriptures a revelation or a divine revelation? Because that is exactly what they are. The Scriptures are a revelation to man from the Lord. In Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, it is written, The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us. The Scriptures are the revelation of God in the words of men even as Jesus was the revelation of God in the flesh of man. John 1, 1 to 3 and 14. Listen to this word as written by the Apostle Paul. In 2 Timothy three sixteen. all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. This being true, should we not read, study, yes, search the scriptures, as Jesus said, for in them we find eternal life revealed. John 5:39. Dear sir, do you really believe that Jesus Christ will actually be seen again in this world? Here is your answer in John 14:3. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Those are the words of Jesus. And again in Acts 1, 11, 
This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then he will be seen when he comes. Last of all, from the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 7, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. So here we have an answer straight from the word of God. Question. Many people today believe that when a man dies, that's the end of everything. What do you believe? Here's your answer in John 5:28 and 29. The hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice, and shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. That's clear and right to the point, isn't it? Question, if Christ does return to this world again, do you think he will come without some warning or announcement of it? We find our answer in Luke 21, 25. There shall be signs in the sun, in the moon, in the stars, and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Question, what about this Sabbath question? I hear you make so much of it, but it's hardly mentioned in the Bible. Why do you talk about it so much? Well, my answer is that, on the contrary, we have hardly mentioned it over the air, though it is fully discussed in our free Bible correspondence course. And as for your suggestion that the Sabbath is hardly mentioned in the Bible, we find the fact to be just the opposite. According to my research, the word Sabbath in both its singular and plural form, is found at least 168 times in the Scriptures, 108 times in the Old Testament, 60 times in the New. In the Old Testament, the word refers to the weekly Sabbath, called the Sabbath of the Lord, 77 times. The remaining 31 times it is used in reference to the festival days and Sabbaths of the land. In the New Testament, the Sabbath of the Lord is mentioned 59 times. And those local Sabbaths which expired by limitation and ceased at the cross are mentioned only once. To anyone who would like to have something to read on the subject of the true Sabbath, we shall be happy to send appropriate literature on request. By the way, one of my friends in London has, has just written that Dr. Shivasi, Bishop of Rochester in England, has made the revolutionary suggestion that Sunday schools might get better attendance and solve the problem of teacher shortage by changing to Saturday schools. Can you imagine that? Here's what he says. Half the problem of the Sunday schools is the shortage of teachers. The other half is the changed habits of the people, which in many parishes have militated against the time-honored practice of the afternoon Sunday school. The good bishop believes that since the five-day work week is becoming increasingly the custom in Britain, the church might do well to use Saturday morning for ministry to children. From the point of view of those who, like ourselves, believe that the seventh day of the week, commonly called Saturday, is still the true Sabbath of the fourth commandment, the suggestion is most interesting. For such schools, we believe, would not merely be Saturday schools, but truly Sabbath schools. Question, since you preachers say that man is immortal and the Bible teaches it, what are you going to do if science does not prove it? Well, my answer is that there is one preacher who has never said that, this preacher here. 
Anyone who reads the Bible carefully will soon find out that it does not teach that man is immortal. The Bible plainly says that God only hath immortality. You'll read those words in 1 Timothy 6.16. God only hath immortality. In 1 Timothy 1.17, God is said to be immortal. Immortality can come only through Jesus Christ and at the resurrection. We find this in 1 Corinthians 15.51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, that is, die, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. You see, immortality is something which we do not have now, something we must put on, but we shall have it as God's gift through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross. It will be given to us at the resurrection. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Question, do you believe that God actually hears and answers our prayers? In reply, we read Psalm 65, 2. O thou that hearest prayer, unto thee shall all flesh come. And the words of Jesus in Matthew 7, 11. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give good things to them that ask him? Question, why don't Christians pray more? What's the real cause of the prayerless lives of so many of us? Answer, there are at least three conditions to answered prayer. First, faith. Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, James 1, 6. The man that does not have faith will not pray. Prayer is the key in the hand of faith to unlock heaven's storehouse. The second condition that keeps prayers from being answered is sin in the heart. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Psalm 66, 18. In other words, disobedience to God's known word is an inhibitant to prayer. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. Proverbs 28, 9. The third main deterrent to prayer is an unforgiving spirit. And when you stand praying, forgive, if you have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. Mark eleven twenty five. One of the greatest reasons for the lack of prayer among Christians is a lack of faith. We trust our own energies more than God. As Pastor Theo S. Holland of Lebanon, Oregon, Lutheran Church, declared not long ago, many Christians believe in their own efforts rather than in prayer to do the church's work. They get out beautifully illustrated manuals and elaborate schedules to follow. The pastor says, We have allowed the spirit of substitution to enter the life of our churches. Highly organized programs, campaigns, canvases produce gratifying results. Without knowing it, perhaps, we've allowed these things to become a substitute for prayer. He described prayer as a master switch which individuals have a right to throw in order that God's power may be tapped for specific purposes. And he termed the experiences of many individuals and congregations as pretty shallow and possibly even non-existent in more cases than we'd like to admit. Pastor Holland said that this lack of prayer in individuals and churches is a sign of dangerous self-sufficiency. And surely we need a healthy prayer life if we expect to keep up with the situation in our world today. 
A great revival in prayer is probably the greatest need of Christians everywhere at this hour. When we rely upon organization, we get what organization can do. When we rely upon education, we get what education can do. When we rely upon eloquence, we get what eloquence can do. But when we rely upon prayer, we get what God can do. Should we not this very day begin a real prayer life, praying for our own needs, for those we love, for the lost? We should pray for Christian preachers everywhere, for the gospel's progress throughout the world, for the peace of the world. There are many things for which we can pray and many people for whom we can pray. Why not open the holy book of God and read everything we can find on the subject of prayer so that we may really learn to pray? Jesus said, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut the door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Matthew 6, verse 6. It was David who said, Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. Psalm fifty-five, seventeen. One person who prays is a power. So think of what it means when a whole church prays, how the world would be shaken should a whole nation pray. Said J. Edgar Hoover, the spectacle of a nation praying is more awe-inspiring than the explosion of an atomic bomb. The force of prayer is greater than any possible combination of man-made powers because prayer is man's greatest means of tapping the infinite resources of God. We may not succeed in getting a nation or even a church to pray, but the power of our own personal prayers can change our lives. An old Indian teacher met a young convert and asked him if he was praying regularly. He answered, I'm a Christian, but I have no time to pray. Then you have no time to breathe, said the teacher. Oh, I have to take time for that so as to live. Then, said the teacher, it's just as important to pray as to breathe. Prayer is the Christian's vital breath, the Christian's native air. His watchword at the gates of death, he enters heaven with prayer. And may that be our experience here and hereafter. Sing of a 
but God is near. He prayeth best who loveth best all things both great and small. For the power of God knows no equal, so let us keep looking up, going forward in faith. And now, here with a final word for you is H.M.S. Richards, a Seventh-day Adventist minister. Have faith in God. His word, the honest test. Have faith in God for truth and hope and rest. Have faith in God. His answer is the best. Have faith, dear friend, in God. We hope our program has brought blessing to you today and that you will join us again next week for another broadcast brought to you by the Voice of Prophecy. We say to one and all, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace.